The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madea, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. The Forever Fab podcast values truth and authenticity. We encourage our guests to show up exactly as they are, as the best version of themselves. Please note, this podcast episode contains adult language. Thank you and enjoy. This week's episode is dedicated to reaching for the stars. And the topic of this interview is Mission Possible launching your dreams and landing among the stars. Welcome to my interview with Aisha Bo. Aisha Bo is a Bahamian American aerospace engineer. Yes, she's a rocket scientist. She's also an entrepreneur and founder of a technology company. She grew up in the United States in a working class family. Her father immigrated from the Bahamas and was a taxi driver in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Although her high school guidance counselor recommended that she become a cosmetologist, her father urged her to take a mathematics class at her local community college. That she excelled in math allowed her to transfer into engineering programs at the University of Michigan. At the university, she completed her undergraduate degree in aerospace engineering in 2008, then earned a master's degree in space systems engineering in 2009. Bo worked at the Ames Research Center, a major NASA research center in the Flight Trajectory Dynamics and Controls branch of the Aviation Systems Division. She joined the Flight and Fluid Mechanics Department and assisted in the development of algorithms in support of air traffic management. While at NASA, she also served as liaison to the Mathematics, Engineering, Science, Achievement Program, mentored students, held interview workshops, and led NASA site tours. Currently, Aisha is founder and CEO of STEM Board, a company that solves technology challenges for government and private sector clients. She is also the creator of the Lingo Coding Kit, which teaches hardware and software design. Aisha's accolades are numerous and include Entrepreneur of the Year by the Black Data Processing Associates of Washington, D.C., Outstanding Alumni Award, Department of Aerospace Engineering at University of Michigan, Inc.'s 5000 2020 List of Fastest Growing Companies, U.S. Women's Chamber of Commerce Emerging Star Award, Silicon Valley's National Coalition of 100 Black Women in Technology of the Year Award, NASA's Engineering Honor Award, and NASA's Equal Employment Opportunity Medal, among so many other achievements and accomplishments. Aisha is an international speaker, entrepreneur, certified scuba driver, fashionista, and mountain climber. She climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. 
She joins me today via StreamYard to discuss her journey and what excites her about her future. Welcome, Aisha. Congratulations on all your success, and thank you for becoming a beautiful member of the Forever Fab community. Aisha, thank you so very much for joining us today on the Forever Fab podcast. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. I cannot wait to get into it. <laughs> okay, so let's get right into it. First question, what early experiences in life, whether at home, um, at school or otherwise, led you to a career in science? Wow, I wish I could tell you I thought I was going to be here. No, I, I did not. Um, <laughs> I would say the earliest experiences that led me to a career in science were negative ones. Mm. I was constantly facing negative feedback, shall we say, people who were not optimistic about future career prospects, who basically said, hey, you know, I don't think you're going to grow up to be much of anything. And we're really strongly convicted about that. And um, when I look back on middle school and high school, I just feel a lot of pain around those early years because I felt like I was bigger than the moment and what was going mm. on. But I didn't really have the tools or the resources to express it. It wasn't until I was 18 and I was in community college. So I was, uh, spoiler alert, you know, not voted the most likely to succeed in high school. I was misguided and unmotivated. I ended up in community college and I just found this wonderful environment of people who were patient, who were supportive of other people who didn't necessarily know what they wanted to do or who were returning to school or some who some of whom were transitioning to a new career after exploring the first one and maybe not enjoying it and i really found my stride there and it was over a series of years it wasn't one of those overnight success things but i built a sense of confidence and direction that ended in me obtaining two degrees in aerospace engineering from the university of michigan after starting off at Washtenaw Community College. Wow. I just think that, I mean, hearing your story about pain and frankly, just flat out adversity, I can completely 100% relate to that. Um, I had read in your bio that part of that negative experience was a guidance counselor telling you that you should go into cosmetology or being an esthetician or a facialist, whatever you call it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with those industries. Um, I happen to work with estheticians and facialists all the time. However, that she would have relegated you to uh, something because of career, because she didn't think or he didn't think much of you. I've experienced that kind of adversity and negative feedback, not only in high school, but throughout my career in plastic surgery. So I relate to you and I applaud you for what you said. And I'll quote you, I felt like I was bigger than the moment. So despite your adversity, you knew yourself and you knew what you were capable of and, and your parents knew what you were capable of. So I, I think that that community college is where you found community and it was meant for you to be there to a certain extent. I guess, you know, we thank those haters, right? Isn't there a rap song about thanking your haters? Yeah. Okay. I can't, I'm not that hip, so I don't remember the name of it, but I, I still feel it. Okay. Now, but do you feel? Yes. 
Oh, there, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think that, um, you know, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs now who may feel that they would prefer to be criticized less. And mm. I have to tell them, if you don't have at least one or two haters, you're doing something wrong. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough road to travel and it's really difficult to navigate because you, you want the feedback. You want, yes, you are, you don't have to be great, but you are good enough. But when it teeters on the edge of you're not even good enough, when you know that you are, it's really challenging. Do you feel that growing up as a Caribbean American imparted any particular values on whom you are today? <laughs> That's an interesting question. You know, I, I you. often feel that like you're good enough when you say you're good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a distinction that people don't learn early enough in life. I spent way too many years hoping that people would recognize me, hoping that they would appreciate my work. But the moment that I decided to take that power away from them to say, yes. I am going to validate myself and I'll just yes. wait for you to catch up. And if you do, then good. If you don't, then fine. My entire world opened up. And yes. that's a lot of where I've started to branch into the Caribbean and, and do more because I saw the level of effort. My father came to the U.S. from the Bahamas and he was pursuing an engineering degree. He was pursuing mm -hmm. more opportunity, more social mobility, and had a desire to bring some of that knowledge back to the country from which he came. And he worked so hard to make that happen. And I was looking at my career and my life, and I was saying, you know what? Why aren't there more people of Caribbean descent as engineers at NASA? Why aren't there more people of Caribbean descent, or quite frankly, a non-traditional background as students who study alongside me at Michigan, it is not because those individuals aren't smart enough. There's a right. lot happening. There's access, there's opportunity, there's resources. There's so much that goes into answering the question of why a particular group of individuals may not be represented. And I was very mindful of that early career to say, okay, Aisha, I want to build something or devote my time and my energy to the things that reflect me, my lineage and my values. That's awesome. That's, it sounds as if when you came to that space, to that realization of sort of reclaiming your inner goddessness, right? Reclaiming your mojo that you reclaimed or you, you rediscovered that you are self-approved and that self-approval it led to your self-validation and that self-validation led to your self-empowerment and frankly what is self-empowerment and self-validation and self-approval it's self-love so you had that i think she disappeared that would you say that the adversity from the people outside Dr. Shirley, could you yeah. uh, stop that, uh, go back to that question, you, your Wi-Fi cut out? Oh, darn it. Which question? <laughs> the same question? About yeah, the same question. You, you cut out, like, right at the beginning. Oh, good. At least it was at the beginning. Sorry, yeah. Aisha. So do you, okay, I'll do that over. Okay, I'll repeat that. It sounds as if you found that space of self-approval. And once you're self-approved, you feel self-validated. And once you're self-validated, you feel self-empowered. 
And frankly, I define all that self-approval, self-validation, and self-empowerment as self-love. So knowing that you had that and you were surrounded by a community, your family, your friends, who believed in you and knew that you were bigger than the moment, would you say that the negative negative feedback from others and adversity from outside of your community, were those the biggest obstacles you had to overcome to achieve your goals? I would say that the biggest obstacle I've had to overcome is sense of self. I mm. wish I could sit here and tell you that everybody was super supportive and it was sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops, but <laughs> that would be wrong. I mean, today I go into, um, you know, I go into meetings and, you know, I've owned my company for eight years and, you know, you could just Google me and, and realize that I've accomplished some things in, in life. We've, we've done not a lot of things, we've done some things. And I still get the, oh yeah, right, you're a rocket scientist. Ha ha, he he, ho ho. And I'm like, I'm awake, you can use Google, we'll come back, right? So I, I think that what I recognized really early on was that people were projecting on me and my future limitations that placed on themselves. Yes. And I really started to kick the tires on what they were saying. I would realize that they didn't actually have any data to back what they were saying to me. They just thought it was realistic or they thought it was likely and therefore it was true. And so I kind of was like, well, wait a second. So you're telling me that you don't think that I'm going to go to college and you don't think that I'm going to be successful and you don't think that I'm going to be able to you know, finish my undergraduate degree and go to grad school and all these things. But all of the things that people told me I couldn't do were things that I did do. So once that started to happen on a reoccurring basis, and I was like, ooh, that was a lie, or ooh, that was wrong, or ooh, that rule doesn't apply. Then I kind of started to say, well, what else are people telling me or maybe telling others yeah. that they think are truisms, but are actually just fluff? And why don't we as a society start kind of saying, hey, um, I'm not going to allow you to project your reality on my existence. Exactly. And that's, what's, that's really important what you said that because so many comments, especially negative comments that we may receive, I believe, come from the other person's sense of, of deep insecurity and self-loathing, and maybe loathing of a lot of other things. So it's true, we have to remember who we are. We have to remember who we are. And you remembered who you are, and so you achieved quite a position at NASA. What was the most exciting or game-changing experience for you while you were at NASA? I mean, that's so epic. I mean, oh my gosh. I'm serious, I was doing research on you, and I. I like got on the floor like, oh my God, this sister's amazing. There, it would be really difficult for me to mention just one thing uh, that happened when I was at NASA. So I spent six years at NASA's Ames Research Center, which is yes. the facility just south of San Francisco in Northern California. And I worked that at Moffett Air Force, Air Force Base, that at Moffett yep. somewhere? Yeah, okay. It's Moffett Field in yeah, NorCal. And I started off working on small spacecraft, so satellites the size of a shoebox. 
I spent a couple of years doing that. And then I went into aircraft trajectory optimization, which never comes up in bar talk, but it's basically the routes that commercial aircraft take as they transit through the national airspace system every day. And I well, you'd be surprised. You, I travel extensively and it actually comes up in my bar talk. <laughs> <laughs> Just not the technical details that you know about, but I'm so nerdy when it comes to things like that. But yes, go on. Yes. Trajectories. Awesome. Yes. So, you know, I, um, I've, I've met astronauts. I've met global leaders. I've, you know, I've had a chance to travel around to the different NASA facilities and see fully constructed, you know, mock-ups of parts of the National Space Station. And I think for me, one of the more powerful experiences occurred the first week that I was there because there was this sense of, oh, wow, you for years, for about six years, I wanted that moment. I prayed for that moment. I worked for that moment. I hoped for that moment. I told other people that I was going to be at NASA and they laughed at me and I still, I, I, I just, I knew I was gonna end up there. And to actually be there felt surreal. And it was also one of those, okay, well, you've made it here. You are now 23 years old. Now, what are you gonna do? What's right. gonna be your next big moment? And so it was really a, hey, Aisha, you gotta level up. You've accomplished something that most people thought was not possible of you. And now it's up to you to redefine what your, what, you know, what your dreams are and how you're gonna push yourself to the next level. So given that and all that you've accomplished so far, what would you say are the achievements that you are most proud of so far? Because I know so much more is coming from you. I think I'm just getting started. I'm just sort yes, of figuring out how to navigate in this space that's um, solely driven by my intentions. And when I yeah. say intention, what I mean is being intentional about how I want to spend my time or what it is that I want to create. Because early in my career, I was very focused on, okay, how do I play the corporate America game, right? How do mm -hmm. I become a award-winning NASA researcher? How do I figure out how to elevate my career and get promoted? But once I, I, I left that and I transitioned into running my own company, my focus has been on impact as well as scale and growing organizations to seven figures and figuring out how I can then influence the next generation of leaders. And so for me, it's more activities like creating scholarships. So I endowed a scholarship earlier this year to my community college to help support students who want to go and pursue engineering at a four-year university. That to me, like that's core to how I spend my time. I also created a product called Lingo, which is an at-home coding kit, which we've sold over like 3,000 boxes now in less than a year, which helps students learn STEM subjects at home. And I'm proud to say we have a lot of socioeconomically disadvantaged students who are part of Upward Bound programs or who are in other federally funded initiatives that are learning computer science at home when they would not necessarily have had those courses in their schools, right? So I've really kind of said, all right, Aisha, now that we've gotten some of the fundamentals down about creation and we're okay, like I'm okay being unpopular. I'm okay having people criticize what I think and how I feel. I'm okay not knowing 
how I'm going to do something, just knowing what it is that I want to do, how do I then take that that skill set and being comfortable in the discomfort and turn it into future, you know, future achievements? So speaking of future achievements and speaking of lingo, the the coding and software kit that you created, which I think is absolutely so brilliant. As a STEM luminary, two questions. As a STEM luminary, is it important to facilitate higher engagement in the STEM fields for girls and women of color? And as such, is that one of the reasons why you created Lingo, the Lingo kit? Yes, and yes. I feel like this is one of those D, all of the above questions. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you hate those questions on all those exams? It's like, come on. <laughs> but this, but this, but you're, I mean, I think it's, there are so many reasons why having a diverse group of individuals, and when I say diversity, it's not just in ethnicity, it's in thought. We have a lot of problems that continue to be solved in the same way because we have the same people solving them. And so yep. when you talk about engaging what people may consider to be non-traditional groups, it's really about getting to better solutions and better businesses and just better overall, like our community. I, you know, I was reading these um, Harvard Business School reports on businesses that have women in the C-suite. And there's mm -hmm. hard data that shows that these companies are more profitable that they make yeah. better long-term decisions and that they reach new segments of their market simply by just having women involved. Well, what if you had black men? What if you had Asian women? Like, what if you just had all or the largest possible cross-section involved in decision-making? Yeah. It seems so simple to me, but when you look at a lot of the way which we positioned hard science, it is taught by individuals who don't look like me or you. And right. It's important for both reasons. So I had a school contact us and they're one of the more elite private schools in America. They taught lingo for their ninth grade class. And one of the things that I thought was so powerful about their feedback is they said, hey, we're the traditional set. You know, we are um, a well-respected institution that is mostly, it's mostly, you know, Caucasian males who attend. And what was great for us was that they got to learn computer science from a black woman. So while mm. they may not have them in their classes, it starts to normalize who they think are in the field, right? Like maybe they won't look so strange when, you know, at somebody that they're working with when they don't look like them because they've seen these videos and they've done these activities and they've seen that there are other people who represent the field that are out there. In right. the same, we have little boys and girls who are people of color who watch our videos and they're like, hey, there's somebody that finally looks like me. And so I, I think that there's something there for everybody so that we can get past what people's backgrounds are and we can actually get to, get down to the business of improvement that comes through working together. I agree 100%. I mean, we could go on and on about for hours about the uh, benefits and frankly how important, quintessentially in my opinion, important to, um, to have diverse people in your company and diverse people you know, at your organization. Um, but that's a topic for another podcast if you'd like to return to join us. <laughs> now, what motivated you? You were at NASA for several years, but what motivated you to leave NASA and become the serial entrepreneur that you are and create STEM board? I realized that 
as much as I loved working for NASA, my career path was fairly defined in mm. that I would advance by either becoming more technical or mm -hmm. entering into a management track. And what I started doing, and at first I didn't realize this is, well, I, I wanted to be more well-rounded. I wanted yep. to know what we did in public affairs. And so I volunteered to tag along. I was nosy. I went building to building. I was asking people what they were doing. I was like, hey, look, I've only been here for a couple of years. Tell me about yourself, which is a pro tip. If you ever want someone to really like you, just ask them about themselves. They'll speak <laughs> for an hour. You know, you may not have gotten a word in edgewise, but they'll leave feeling like you were really, really great, right? So I went building to building. How did you get here? What is it that you can, you can teach me? And what I started to recognize was that because my job was so, it was either technical or managerial, I wasn't really developing these other interests. And the best way for me would, to do that would be to either find a job that let me do all those things, which, I mean, my degree is in aerospace engineering. There, isn't, there wasn't necessarily like a, you know, a part-time, super technical, part-time, public-facing aerospace engineering job at the time that I found. <laughs> or I could create my own thing. And I, you know, I simply said, you know what, I, I think I have what it takes to become the master of my own reality and yeah. I'm going to do it. And if I wanted to have the best possible professional experience, what would I do? And that was the foundation for the company that I own today, which is called Stemboard. We provide professional engineering consulting services. So basically people have hard problems and we help them solve them. And we also have education and outreach efforts that are roughly 20% of our business, but that are now growing. Because I felt as though if we were going to make revenue off of the work we did for the taxpayer, because a lot of our work is with the government, why yes. can't we reinvest that taxpayer dollar into the country and make it more equitable? And so that's my model. So even if you don't dedicate your time to a workshop or a camp or work on lingo in the company, Everybody knows that a portion of the hour that they work is going to go towards bettering the community. I love it. Now, you are a hiker, and I understand you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Why Mount Kilimanjaro? <laughs> so let's just say that sometimes the universe speaks to me, and it's uh it's a little cryptic but i tend to follow the path so what happened was i was what had happened was <laughs> exactly so i was sitting at home and and prior to this experience i was not somebody who liked to sleep outside i was not about this hiking life so i never climbed a mountain before kilimanjaro i had never even been on a long hike no wow and i was sitting and i was really still and i just got this this thought the thought was like aisha you spend so much time in execution. You're not really taking the time out for yourself. You need to give yourself the opportunity to challenge not only your mental boundaries, but your physical boundaries. And how are you gonna do that? And a little light bulb went off and was like, okay, let's climb a mountain. And then there was a part of my brain that was like, no, let's not climb a mountain. You don't sleep outside. You don't have any gear. Let's not do that. Mm. And then the other side of my brain was like, well, that sounds like a double dog dare, so we're doing it. 
and that was it. Love it. <laughs> and then you just said, yeah, we're doing it. Yeah, I said, we're, we're, and so I lived in REI for like a month and a half. Like I literally went section to section. I had this gear list. I tried on my stuff. Like I was the person that was like in all of the gear in the store, like sprawled out, but I hadn't bought anything yet. Right. Like I had <laughs> everything on. And what I realized about the journey was that I spent so many years thinking that if I worked later, if I got up earlier and I focused harder, that I would be better. But what mm -hmm. I really wasn't doing was incorporating the mind, body, and soul connection. And that came to me after Kilimanjaro. So I summited at about 7.30 a.m. on New Year's Day. Wow. And it was the sickest I can ever remember being. It was freezing cold. And I didn't really know how I was going to find the strength to descend. And it was my mind that pushed me. My body was like, hey, 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 this hurts. I, you know, I burn. There's a lot of lactic acid buildup. You know, I was just, I was just, I was done. But my mind said, hey, look, um, this discomfort is temporary. You can, you can do it and you will do it. And it was one step, one breath at a time. One step, one breath at a time. And I took that approach back to how I run my company. And it is, it's really one step, one breath at a time. I purposefully slow things down. I visualize su successful outcomes. I meditate, I journal, I'm intentional about what my goals are. And I'm intentional about using my mind and my willpower to support what I hope to achieve in the future. That's so brilliant. Are you writing a book? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I'm working I'm just, on it. Good, I, you know, there I, you go. It's it's coming it's coming together slowly but surely. I I will tell you that I think it's probably going to be next year, but I I have begun the process. Well, that's interesting that I I just got like a a hit that said, "Okay, she's got to write a book if she isn't already." And it leads it segues or leads into my next question, which is that you have challenged mental and physical boundaries. You have challenged the boundaries that other people have put on you. It seems as if the sky, frankly, is not a limit for you, um, to be metaphorical. Is What is next for you besides the book? What is your big picture, big visualization for what's next for you? What's next for me is to become an astronaut. Ah! I've been I was going to ask that this. question. Yeah, you know, there are, uh, there's a list of things that I haven't done because I'm like, I've been too afraid to do. And I will tell you that I was out giving a motivational speech the other day and I was like, Aisha, this is your thing, right? Like you should have applied to the astronaut corps, you didn't. And now Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos are in space and yes. darn it, you can get up there too. So. I'm very much looking forward to either earning a seat as part of a NASA mission or maybe potentially buying a seat on a suborbital flight. You don't, you wouldn't have to buy a seat, Aisha. I'm sure anybody would be honored to have you and pay for you to be by their side. I'm glad I'm, I'm somehow intuitively teasing these questions out of you. I love this conversation. Me too. You know, I, oh, you know, I haven't really, I have not admitted to 
really much of um, anybody that I'm interested in this. So, hey, podcast listener, there you go. <laughs> I know, there you go. And this is an international audience, FYI. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing. So let's okay. go back to something that you mentioned earlier. Let's go back to bar talk. Are men intimidated by your accomplishments and credentials? At times. And if you find that they are, do you, how do you overcome it? Or do you even bother overcoming it at all? I don't really bother to overcome it. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I don't recall being in a conversation with a man that ever felt that they needed to help someone feel less intimidated by them. I think mm. it's a quality that we women exhibit because we always want to make people feel comfortable. We're welcoming. Hey, you're talking with me. Like, I want you to feel like you like me. But I'm past the point in many respects of caring because it is what it is. And <laughs> so if in some way my responses have made you feel insecure, that is really something that the other person needs to deal with. I try not to internalize that too much. I try not to take it home with me um, because I'm not deliberately, I don't deliberately set out to intimidate. It may just be something that happens in conversation. And really, I want to be around people who don't feel intimidated, who I don't feel like I need to, you know, like um, cater to in a certain way. And so for me, it's kind of like, well, hey, like, thank you for signaling to me that you may feel uncomfortable. And I now know who I should spend my time with moving forward. I wish you and I were friends when I was dating, because I got to tell you, when men asked me what I did for a living, and when I answered, I'm a plastic surgeon, the energy just completely changed. <laughs> and then a few times, guys just were like, oh, and then just literally turned around and left. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is what Wait, it is. Wait, doesn't it feel like the air is like sucked out of the room? Like it's it feels really like, like the oh. air is sucked out of the room and you're left in this vacuum, this like space of, it's just weird. It's weird. But anyway, we move on, onward and upward. Yes, but I, listen, I am so grateful for that now in my mid thirties, like in my early twenties, I would have left the conversation feeling some kind of way. Like I would no. have been like, Aisha, you know what, maybe you should just say you're an engineer and maybe not what type. And maybe you should just kind of wait and like let the other person feel empowered. And and I've kind of said, you know, I am who I am. Why would I want somebody that couldn't appreciate or embrace the full me? And I don't want to find that out two months from now when we're at some event and somebody walks up to me and is like, oh, hey, like I saw you on TV or I am a fan of yours. No. I want to get that out of the way now. And so I feel like for all the women out there who are experiencing that, have faith, right? Like who you are and what you've built and what you've worked to accomplish is special, but make sure that you don't expend time on people that can value it. Agreed. Loud and proud. Loud and proud. You've just listened to part one of Forever Fab podcast. Please stay tuned for part two. Coming up next. <laughs>